book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. Who can tell me why we partake of the Lord's Supper? Why do we, um, why do we take grape juice and uh, drink it? And why do we take the bread, the unleavened bread, and why do we chew it and swallow it? Why, why did Christ tell us to partake of the Lord's Supper? Correct, in remembrance of him. And so there are many different elements that we can remember when we think about the crucifixion of Christ and his sacrifice. We can remember his love. That We can, we can think of his obedience that took him to the cross, uh, to his father, the will of his father. We can think of his selflessness. right? We can think of his sacrifice. We can think of his suffering. Uh, there are many different elements to the crucifixion that we're reminded of when we think about the, uh, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read down through verse number 14. There's a lot in this passage. Um, Hebrews is a challenging book to read to some degree. The language is not simple, so I know the food is digesting, so you're going to have to fight a little bit here um, as we read these 14 verses. But there's a couple of things specifically I want you to notice. And primarily what I want you to see in this chapter is um, what... Caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And, uh, and I think you'll see it as we read down through this chapter to verse 14. I'll begin in verse number 1. It says this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices, talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. Now that verse in verse 5 is a quote. God is quoting the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it again in that light. He said, he saith, Christ said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And you get a glimpse into almost a conversation between the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, And in a sense, that's what's happening. And Jesus says to his father, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. You're not satisfied with the the shed blood of bulls and of goats that can never, ever make the people who bring those sacrifices holy and perfect. It's not enough. So look in verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, Jesus continues, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, now Christ speaks of himself. Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. What book do you think he's referring to? The Bible, his word. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And notice why he came. 
To do thy will, O God. Why did Jesus Christ come and die on the cross? Um, He loved us. God so loved the world, he sent his son. But he did so out of obedience to his father. And that becomes very obvious in this passage as he continues. Notice in verse 8, Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, speaking of what Christ had said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, and he, that he may establish the second, speaking of the covenant, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, speaking of Jesus hanging on the cross and dying for our sins, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. We've been studying that on Sunday nights. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Uh, Notice again before we leave Hebrews 10, look again at verse number 7, the latter part. He says, I come to do thy will. That is why he came. And so one of the things, and you can look with me over to the book of James now if you would. The book of James, chapter 4. But one of the elements of the crucifixion of Christ that we must never overlook, and we need to be confronted with this, because we're to do it in remembrance of him. And we can talk about the gory death, and it's not inappropriate to do so. We can talk about the blood of Christ and that it was necessary uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness There's no justification. No one's declared righteous without that blood being shed. We can talk about the blood. We can talk about the body being broken. Not his bones, but his body being broken for you and for me. But there's an element here that should strike at every one of our hearts, and that is, it is Christ-like to do the will of God. It is Christ-like to do the will of God. We call ourselves Christians, little Christ. We call ourselves Christ-followers. Many, if not many, many people in this room here this afternoon have passed through the waters of baptism, which is a signification of public testimony uh, that we want to follow. It's really a declaration that we want to follow Jesus Christ. And I submit to you this afternoon that to follow Jesus Christ requires us to submit to the will of our Father. Now you're in James chapter 4, and I want to... I want to notice a few verses as we think about this idea. And I could ask you, and I I will ask you, you, do you desire to obey the will of your Father? Where you sit right now. Now, I'm not asking you if you always want that. I'm not asking you if sometimes you don't want to. But right now, where you sit, even though in your mind you might even know of situations or maybe even some things you struggle with personally that bother you, but... In the moment where we are, do you want to do the will of your Father? And that's very important. Um, If we're going to be what we ought to be, then we must be willing to do the will of our Heavenly Father. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
And uh, he went a little further apart to pray. He knew what was going to happen. He knew Judas was coming. He knew the band of men were coming. And his disciples slept. They couldn't stay awake, like some of you, right, when I preached too long. <laughs> couldn't stay awake. Um, Jesus prayed. Do you remember what he prayed in Luke? In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I, and I suppose this, this afternoon, that is what I want us to see as we look at James here. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he was willing to do the will of his Father. He was willing to do something that caused him great hurt, great hurt and caused him a great amount, but he was willing to do the will of his Father. The truth is that our, our Heavenly Father is not requiring any one of us at least and out of yet, to go to a cross. And he certainly is not requiring any one of us to go to a cross to pay this price for the sins of the whole world. We can't do that. But we have been commanded to take up our cross and follow him. And so for each one of us, though, I want to boil it down to this. I don't know exactly what that cross will look like for you. I don't know what that trial will look like. I'm not sure what it is that you'll be faced with, the hardships that you'll be faced with, the temptations that you'll go through. But I do know this. That if we're going to please our Heavenly Father, we, and if we're going to be Christians, true Christ followers, little Christ, then we're going to have to be willing at the very beginning, at the bare minimum, we're going to have to be willing to do the will of our Heavenly Father. Now, there's a few things that we could, I guess a few attitudes we can have when it comes to uh, attitudes toward the will of God. And look at James chapter 4. And I'm going to read in verses 13 and 14. And I want to notice four different attitudes that you and I can have regarding the will of God. The first attitude we can have toward the will of God is to ignore it. We can choose to ignore it. Look at verses 13 and 14 of of James chapter 4. He says this, Go to now ye that say, or you that are, are saying, you're in the, it's actually happening, you're saying it, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Now, there are some folks, and you and I are tempted to do this sometimes, there are some of us who just, I think, are tempted to just flatly ignore that God even has a will. Just kind of ignore it, that he has a will. And make, make application in your own life here. Does God have a will for you in your marriage? Does God have a will for you as a deacon? Does he have a will for me as a pastor? Does he have a will for us as husbands, as fathers? Does he have a will for you as children? Does God have a will for you as children? Um, let me ask the children. Uh, use some scripture and you tell me, what, tell me one thing that you know from the Bible that is God's will for you. Any children here know? One thing that God wants you to do. Yes, Ryan. Obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We know it's right because the Bible says it. Do children ever ignore that that's God's will? Are you kids ever tempted to just ignore God's will when it comes to obeying your parents? You know, it's true for children. Sometimes children are tempted to just ignore God's will when it comes to obeying their parents. But 
James here is talking about some people that are making plans for their lives. And interestingly, as they're making all these plans for their lives, and the Bible, I don't believe at all, is against planning or thinking things through or counting the cost. No, the Word of God would teach us to think things through and to count the cost and be wise and use biblical principles when making decisions. But when I read verses 13 and 14, there's something missing from this individual's plans or these people's plans. And you know what's missing from their plans? God. God's missing from their plans. And so he says, go to now. And it's kind of a, uh, that, that phrase has the idea of, hey, listen up. Uh, you are in the process of saying, and that's what he, when he says, ye that say, it's not just that they've said it in the past and they're not saying it anymore. They're in the process of making plans. And, and they're saying, we're going to go into this city and we're going to buy and we're going to sell and we're going to get gain. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, and I'm not opposed to making plans, but you know what was missing was God from their plans. So make plans to go on vacation this summer when it's warmer. Make plans to buy this or that, sell that. Make some plans to invest for retirement or save or work and earn. Make plans to play and do but But somewhere along the line, these people had eliminated God from their plan making. And that was the problem. They were making plans like God had no will regarding their lives. The question could be, did God want them to go into such a city? Did God want them to sell? Did God want them to buy? And the idea is here, they're making plans and they're ignoring, flatly ignoring, that God has a will at all. The Bible has a lot to say about the will of God. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 35, the Bible says, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. Jesus was saying that those people whose lives are characterized by doing the will of God are, in essence, his family. They're related to him. There's a connection there. It doesn't mean that we always do the will of God, but it means that we desire it. It's a desire of ours to know and to do the will of God. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 40 and verse 8, I delight to do thy will. You know, that's a desire I have for you. You're a teenager, or maybe you're a young person, younger than a teenager, a younger person. Or maybe you're retired. I don't know where you are, are at in life. But oh, that it would be, could be said of us, what the psalmist said of himself, I delight to do thy will. God, I want to know what your will is. I know you have a will for me, and I'm not ignoring it. I want to do your will. You know, when we fail to do God's will, there's a sense of shame. Psalm 143 and verse 10 says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Teach me to do thy will. Something we have to be taught to do. Parents, you and, you ought, you, we, you and I, and uh, we need to teach our children to do the will of God. I talked to a parent uh, just recently, this week, and they recounted how their mother had been raised in a strict Christian home, religious home, and uh, grew to uh, really despise the church and church attendance. And so this particular individual made the comment to me recently, this week, he said, so, you know, I'm basically letting my daughter determine how often she comes to church and how often she doesn't. His daughter is not yet 13. 
Um, there's a way to go about, parents, you and I, teaching our children to do the will of God, teaching our children to know what the will of God is, be able to identify what it is, and then to implement and fulfill the will of God. That's something you and I as parents are responsible to do this for our children. And children, you are responsible to honor your parents and to obey your parents. And you know what? When parents take their responsibility of teaching their children to do the will of God, and children take the responsibility to do the will of God in obeying their parents, you have something very beautiful that takes place. And it's not worldly at all. It's actually very godly. It's God's plan, and God is pleased when God's people do his will. And God blesses that. God blesses that. God has a will. And I notice in verses 13 and 14, I see they're ignoring God's will. There's a second attitude that I see in this passage, and it's in verse number 16. And the attitude, the second attitude I notice in verse 16 is that some people deny God's will. So some people ignore it like God doesn't have a will. They live life like God doesn't exist. That's ignoring God's will. But then others deny God's will. They deny God's word, or or deny his will. Some believers recognize that God has a will, but they don't think it's as important as their own plans. Look at verse number number 16. He says, But now ye rejoice, which has the idea of to be loud-mouthed, or bragging, boasting. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, All such rejoicing is evil. So these folks are boasting of how they've denied God's will and have done their own will, is the idea. I'm going to read to you uh, part of a poem from a poem by the name of Invictus, written by a man who is not a godly man. And I want you to listen to this. I'll try to read it clearly. Listen to the rebellion. He writes this way, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever gods may be, he doesn't believe in any, for my unconquerable soul. So he's kind of uh, belligerently saying, if there are any gods, I'm unconquerable. They can't tell me what to do. In the fell clutch of circumstance... I have not winced nor cried aloud. He's not asking for help. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears, talking about life, looms but the horror of the shade. He's got no fear of the future. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. And he says this, I am the captain of my soul. As we think about attitudes that we can have toward the will of God, one is I can ignore that God has a will. I can ignore God's will. Two is I can deny God's will. If there is a God, this man, Henry, his attitude was, if there is a God, my head is bloodied but unbowed. I'm going to do whatever I want with my life, and I don't care. And can I just say that is so anti-Christ. It is so anti-Christ. And make the application to our lives here. It is anti-Christ for a young person to disobey their parents. I'm, I'm I'm stating that 
boldly on purpose. I want you to think of it that way. It is Christ-like for Jesus Christ to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Children, you can be Christ-like by obeying your mom and dad. Don't deny that God has a will for you. There's another attitude that we can have, and that's disobeying God's will. We can have the attitude of ignoring God's will. We can have the attitude of denying God's will. We can have the attitude of disobeying God's will. A disobedient attitude. Notice in verse number 17, he says it this way. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If I know what God's will is and I choose to just, you know what, I'm not going to do it. He just says it so very plainly. It's sin. It's sin. If I know and I don't obey, it is sin, the sin of disobedience. And so I ask you, do you know what God's will is? Is it your strong desire to do God's will? Doing the will of God is a way to examine our hearts to see if we're genuinely God's child. An unsaved person does not care if God has a will. An unsaved person acts and they live every day of their lives as if there is no God and he has no will or any plan for them at all. A saved person, a mark of a saved person is that they, they know God has a will and they want to obey the will of their father. Again, I'm reminded of uh, Christ's teaching, specifically, I think it's in Matthew 6, where the disciples had asked the Lord to teach them to pray. And he goes through and he's teaching them how to pray. And he says it this way, Our Father which art, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I've all, I've, as I've thought about those words for years now of my life, it struck me some years ago that I can pray according to God's will, but my heart is not in it. I mean, how can I pray, God, would you do your will on earth like you do it in heaven, but then me myself not be willing to do his will? So I think about Christ going to the cross for you and for me, and I find that he did not ignore his father's will. He did not deny his father's will. He did not disobey his father's will. But he acknowledged his father's will, and he selflessly submitted and obeyed the will of his father. Look at verse 15, and we'll be done. He gives us a positive instruction. There were three attitudes that are negative, ignoring, denying, disobeying. The, the fourth one is positive. It's acknowledging and obeying God's will. You see it in verse number 15. He says this, For that ye ought to say, what, what should we say? The Lord, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If it is God's will, then I will live. And if it is not, I will not. If it is God's will, I will do this. I will sell that. And if it is not God's will, then I won't. If it's God's will, I will buy that. And if it's not his will, I will not. If it's God's will, I will train up my children this way. And if it is not, I will not. If it is God's will, I will, I will love my wife. I will labor at being a better husband, a husband that pleases God. And if it is not his will, then I will not. If it's God's will for me to pastor this way, then I will pastor that way. And if it is not, I will not. You see where this goes. You can apply it and I can apply it to every area of our lives. 
it's appropriate for us as believers to map out our lives with God directly at the center. He's the hub. The fact of life's uncertainties combined with our ignorance of what the future holds should move us to seek the will of God in all our ways. I think about that. The uncertainties of life, they're all over the place, aren't they? And our, our ignorance of what the future holds. You know, the market, I don't know what the stock market is right now, but what was it, like 26000 something at one point, and then it was losing, and then it went up, and it's bouncing around. I don't, I don't know who invests in the stock market here or who doesn't, but I suppose had we known what was going to happen, you say that's insider trading, Pastor Ferguson. I didn't mean it that way. But you know, if you knew, and the, and the reality of life is we don't know. I'm 38 years old. I, I have plans, I have dreams, I have goals, I have ambitions. But the truth of the matter is, I do not know if I will be here in 10 years. And I mean on this planet. And neither do you. But what we do have is the time and the breath that he's given us right now. I know I have that. And there's something I can do with that that will yield eternal results. And that is, do the will of your Father. Search out and find out the will of your Father. Don't deny him. And don't disobey him. And don't pretend like he doesn't have a will. But ask for the leading of the Spirit of God and say, as Christ said, not my will, but thine be done. Let's take our hymnals and uh, let's sing another hymn as